Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EquiConnect podcast brought to you by Mickey Pownell Equine Services. I'm Kyle Goldie. And I'm Karen Fell. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. So, Karen, what's new? Uh, what's new with me? Well, my son, Brody, had his third birthday, somehow managed to take care of him, keep him fed, you know, th- for three years now. Very good. Very good. <laughs> that's that's about all, all anybody can ask from you. That's that's great. You oh, got him fed. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> what about with you? Uh, not not so much. Not so much. Just plugging away. You're starting to get into a little bit of the quieter season. As, as some people know, I'm pretty busy like most vets, I'm pretty busy from the spring until about now. And mm-hmm. uh, I, at this point, race season, show season, that type of thing starts to slow down a little bit. So it's kind of a catch up period where we try to uh, take some vacation days and that type mm-hmm. of thing. So I'm kind of looking forward to that at this point, uh, just getting a bit of time off. Definitely. I don't as of yet have much scheduled. <laughs> There's Lots of options when you don't have anything scheduled. No, 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 exactly. I do have an interesting course coming up that I'm uh, looking forward to. Oh, what's that? It's the uh, third weekend of October. I'm going to New Jersey for uh, an ultrasound clinic. So it's a clinic focusing on ultrasound of the back pelvis and neck so oh, that should cool. be that should be kind of interesting lots to learn in that area so yeah i'm, I'm excited about uh, about learning more about that i think we've talked about it before mm-hmm. continuing education and that type of thing and it's a, a good one so i'm really looking forward to that all right so today our topic is equine gastric ulcer syndrome mm-hmm. which is the fancy term for stomach ulcers that's right the reason I specify stomach is because horses can get ulcers in other areas of their body too. That's right. Eye ulcers. Sure. I think that would be a good topic, talking about eye lesions and things like that. So, that would be a very good topic. Um, we'll save that for a future episode. There's another common area where horses can suffer ulcer-like symptoms. Do you know where that is? Not offhand, actually. <laughs> <laughs> in the uh, in the hind gut. Ah, uh, okay. So uh, we might talk a little bit about that today. What does ulcer really mean, Karen? What does that mean to you? I don't know. I think in terms of with work, I've experienced doing scopes and being able to visually see them. But for me, often I think of the symptoms that people yeah. describe their horses having to then think, oh, maybe this is an ulcer problem. For sure. For sure. What I'm referring to is more the idea that there are some similarities, even though the ulcers we just mentioned happen in distant parts of the body mm-hmm. there is uh, some similarity between them and the the biggest similarity is basically that they generally involve a mucous membrane okay mm-hmm. okay so that's pretty self-explanatory right like yes. our cheek would be a, an example of a mucous membrane mm-hmm. and generally what it refers to is the erosion of that protective surface to expose deeper tissue mm-hmm. and then that deeper tissue has none of the protective mechanisms that the overlying tissue has. Mm-hmm. So so that's really what we're getting at. We're losing the uh, superficial protective tissue mm-hmm. and exposing deeper, uh, more sensitive tissue. Huh, I've that's, never heard it be described like that. That's, okay, a, that's, that's great. Okay, well, that's, that's really, the least I can do. <laughs> it really uh, resonates with me. Okay, 
That's basically what we're talking about. So it's the exposure of uh, tissue that isn't otherwise meant to be exposed. All right. Have you dealt with any cases of uh, gastric ulcer? Yes. Personally, we've had some horses at my parents' place really varying in symptoms, though. That's what I find can be quite difficult with them is sometimes it's something as small. One of our horses was a little bit girthy. You know, you're doing Mm -hmm, up the girth mm -hmm. and she was a little sensitive or she'd get upset about that. And one of my competition ponies a few years ago, we'd go traveling and she would often get a bit of diarrhea Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. during our travels. And that was enough for her. Yep, fair enough. It really does um, present in different ways. Like it's going to present in different ways in different horses, obviously, but I think it's going to present in different ways in different disciplines too. So right. I think performance horses might show some other signs mm-hmm. of, of ulcers, you know, in terms of lack of performance, that type of thing. But we'll we'll get to that stuff in a little bit. Little introduction here. So ulcers can affect uh, both adult horses as well as foals. Okay. Mm -hmm. Foals and uh, adult horses, there will be some similarity in how they present clinical signs. Do you know why we use the word clinical signs in vet medicine? They don't use that in in human medicine. Oh, no, I don't know. This is a good point. Because we don't talk about symptoms, right? Ah, okay. Because symptoms are something that an individual experiences. Oh, I never thought about it like that. No horse can't tell us, this is how I'm feeling. Yeah, 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 exactly. Whereas we always talk about clinical signs. That's why you don't really hear that term outside of vet medicine. But that's why we always talk about clinical signs instead (laughs) of symptoms. So, But anyway, so yeah, clinical signs can be seen in both foals and adults. It has been estimated that up to 50% of foals have signs of uh, gastric ulcers and uh, up to 90% of adult horses. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. So a little bit of anatomy here. When we're talking about gastric ulcers, we're really talking about two separate regions of the stomach. We'll start at the top. So there's a tube that goes into the stomach. What's that called? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so early. Uh, the esophagus. Yes. Okay. okay. Yep. So the esophagus is the tube that the food's going to go down, right? Yes. And then it's going to go through the cardiac sphincter, it's called, which is okay. a uh, like a muscular ring at the top of the stomach. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that opens up into what's called the squamous or non-glandular region of the equine stomach. Okay. And that area uh, comprises about one third of the total size of the stomach. Okay. And that region, it's very similar in its makeup to the esophagus itself. It doesn't have a lot of protective mechanisms or anything like that. You know, you hear about humans that mm-hmm. get esophageal reflux disease and things yes. like that, right? That's because basically acid is coming up from the stomach and burning their esophagus because the esophagus doesn't have a whole lot of protection. Protection, okay. yeah. You can kind of imagine that non-glandular uh, squamous region of the equine stomach mm-hmm. to be very similar to that. There's not a whole lot of protection there, okay? Mm-hmm. And then there is the glandular region, mm-hmm. okay, which is the other two-thirds of the uh, of the stomach, the lower two-thirds of the stomach. And that leads to the pyloric region and then to the duodenum, which is the top part of the small intestine, okay? Mm-hmm. And another term that you'll hear come up fairly often in any discussion about equine gastric ulcer syndrome is the margoplicatus, which is just a great, great word. I wish... I was still having to come up with a name to go on the back of my hockey jersey because I would put down Margo Placatus as my name. Uh, we In vet school, we used to all have anatomical terms on our hockey jerseys as our name. It was pretty funny. There were some pretty good ones out there. But yeah, Margo Placatus would be a good one. It's a pretty great <laughs> word. 
<laughs> anyway, so uh, the Margo Placatus is this distinct margin between the squamous and the glandular regions of the stomach. Is this the red? There's a red line? Or no, it's something... It's just a, a demarcation. It's, okay. a very, it's a very abrupt, solid line uh, ah, okay. of demarcation between the two areas. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, that tends to be where a lot of ulcers are found. Is, okay. is right along the, the Margo Placatus and up into the squamous region of the stomach. Okay. Mm-hmm. The majority of ulcers that we deal with are in the squamous region. Mm-hmm. Again, we're going to get into more specifics, but you can generally think of that as the poorly protected region. Okay. Yes. And, and there are some reasons why we can get glandular region ulcers as well, but they're going to be slightly different than the causes of squamous ones. I often hear people refer to hindgut ulcers. Mm -hmm, Is mm -hmm. that the glandular? It's a totally different region. Ah, Totally different region. A lot of the time when we're talking about hindgut issues, Mm -hmm. we're talking about the right dorsal colon. Okay. Oh, okay. So, which is way in the back. Totally separate area. But but there will be some similarities. Okay. Okay. Why are horses prone to ulcers? Do you have any thoughts on that, Karen? Any ideas? I think often for the horse's like performance horses, they're being shipped around, they're going to shows, competitions, kind of higher stress areas. And it sounds like the squamous area not being protected, that if they're high stress, it would just kind of happen. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stress is going to be a component of it. Mm-hmm. But can you think of another aspect of that whole, let's say we're talking about shipping, for example, you okay. mentioned moving all over the place mm-hmm. and everything like that. What are some other things that would change for the horse during that time? Oh gosh, are we going to talk about food? Yeah, yeah. So okay. all that all that type of thing is, is uh-huh. going to change as well. Not only what the horse is eating, mm-hmm. but if the horse is eating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like In it the could trailer. Be, yeah, exactly. It could be too stressful. They don't want to eat. Yes. That type of thing. Or maybe we weren't able to bring forage with us uh, right. for whatever reason. So there's a change in forage and mm-hmm. then they're kind of put off by that. Exactly. Get to that. That's an important factor. So basically, uh, some of the factors that contribute to the development of ulcers in horses, they secrete acid okay. from that glandular region continuously. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because we only produce acid when we eat. Is that right? Yeah. Might be oversimplifying it. Okay. But yeah, exactly. Whereas horses are just, it's just constant. Gotcha. Now, why would that happen? What does that say about horse nutrition and the equine diet that they're producing acid on a continual basis? Oh, I don't know. They're supposed to be eating the whole time. Ah, gotcha. Because they're... F- Grazers. That's exactly. what I'm thinking. I'm exactly. Like, That's that word. Yeah. So yeah, they're grazers. So through evolution, they mm-hmm. have adapted to having this constant production of gastric juices that, you know, it's going to contain a bunch of different enzymes and mm-hmm. acid and in anticipation of the fact that the horse is going to be eating constantly. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big part of it. What do we use to measure measure acid level? Do you know that word? pH? Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. pH. There's a wide range of pH in the stomach. Okay. Okay, in the in the equine stomach. And just to clarify the pH scale. So a high pH is actually non-acidic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a pH of 14 okay. is like absolutely basic alkaline kind of pH, whereas a pH of 1 is a very high acidity. Uh, okay. okay, so there's a inversely related kind of thing. 
the pH in the, in the equine stomach can range from near neutral, which okay. is about 7, 7.4 kind of thing. That's a neutral pH. Like right in the, the middle. The pH yep. is something that goes in our eye. We want to be about 7 to 7.4. Anything okay. other than that would be uncomfortable. Okay. Yes. So like there's a physiologic <laughs> pH kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you go swimming. People yes. always want to blame the chlorine level yes. for the stinging in their eyes. It really doesn't have anything to do with chlorine. It has to do with the pH of the water. Interesting. So if the pH is off, your eyes sting. Gotcha. Okay. okay. And it doesn't have to be off by much. But anyway, so we've got this wide range from about one and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. One and a half would be very acidic or very yes. basic. Very yes, acidic. Exactly. A very acidic to near neutral. So near mm-hmm. seven kind of thing okay. throughout the stomach. And and generally, if we think about the anatomy of the stomach, mm-hmm. where do we think that the more neutral area of pH would be? I almost think the glandular region. No. Uh, Terrible. Worse. Terrible. No, no, no. Yeah, um, the the more neutral area is going to be up closer to the squamous region, right? Because that's the unprotected part. So it will be more neutral. It'll be more neutral. Huh. Okay. okay. And then as you get into the glandular region mm-hmm. where there's more protective mechanisms, mm-hmm. that's where it starts to get more acidic. Okay. Weird. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So so basically it's a theoretically a, a more neutral pH up at the top where the squamous region is, that sort of poorly protected region is, and then the pH decreases and becomes more acidic throughout the glandular region. Ah, uh, okay. The, you know, the point being that the glandular region is better protected against yes. that, right? Mm-hmm. Moral of the story, there's a big range, okay, of, yeah. uh, of pH in the stomach. And basically, the majority of ulcers are going to happen because of an imbalance between protective factors and the digestive factors, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yep. okay, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk about glandular ulcers. But basically, what we're talking about is this imbalance between protection and acid level and exposure time and everything like that. Okay. Okay. So getting into the more common location of gastric ulcers, Mm -hmm. we're talking about the squamous region. Okay. Ulcers in this region are generally going to be related to excessive acid exposure Mm -hmm. to this vulnerable region, remembering that the glandular region is better protected. Right. So uh, you mentioned it before that stress might have a component there and that might relate to feeding changes, nutritional changes, that type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest causes of squamous region ulcers is going to be fasting, okay? Ah, okay. Most of the time that's going to be involuntary fasting kind of of thing Mm -hmm. or unintended fasting, I should say. Yes. You know, it's not like, you know, the horse is colicky, so we decided to pull its food for 12 hours. Uh, That's not so much what we're concerned about. Can you think of some areas where a horse uh, might go for an extended period of time without eating much? Uh, Like at competitions or? Um, Yeah, maybe. You know, there's the odd horse that's pretty neurotic and won't won't eat Eat. what about some illnesses and things like that oh so um horses with fevers uh okay you know Mm -hmm. prolonged fevers that type of thing they just feel like crap so just like you or i they just don't really want to eat anything yeah they're not feeling good yeah why would they want to eat Or, or horses that we've maybe are recovering from colic surgery yes right or other conditions that require prolonged fasting while you know a situation changes Mm -hmm. those horses yeah we we would want to be thinking about maybe we need to be thinking about some preventative measures against ulcers right and same sort of thing in foals right right Mm -hmm. there's lots of conditions that will make a foal 
not want to eat. Yes. For example, ulcers. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? If you've got yes. ulcers, it, so it becomes like a self-perpetuating thing, yeah. right? Their stomach hurts, so then they don't want to nurse and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Or you can get into foals that develop diarrhea or yes. a fever, that type of thing. And then they don't want to nurse well. Mm-hmm. And so those ones are going to be predisposed to developing ulcers as well. Another thing is a lot of our diets, especially in like racehorses and, and performance horses, can be a little low on forage, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's grass or hay or mm-hmm. whatever. So studies have shown that horses fed hay have lower acidity than fasted horses. Mm-hmm. Okay. And incidentally, alfalfa hay actually provides more profound buffering than grass hay. Okay? Interesting. Yeah. So alfalfa hay has more calcium in it. Okay. And mm-hmm. if you think of it, uh, Tums, don't Tums have calcium in them? Right. Yeah. 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 A lot of those, take? a lot of those human things, uh, that people take for mm-hmm. heartburn have calcium added yes. to them. But calcium has this, this buffering effect. Okay. Yeah. And then the protein seems to have an effect on, on buffering that acid too. Buffering is a, a term just uh, generally meaning, uh, kind of neutralizing mm-hmm. pHs. Our bodies have natural buffering systems in them. But there's something else that's really, really important, not only about what the horse is eating, but the fact that the horse is eating. What could that be? The fact that the horse is eating? Yeah, something about the mere act of eating is protective to the stomach. Yeah, because... You know what that is? Something about them chewing. Yeah, so what what happens when a horse chews? Uh, they salivate. Yeah, and then what the, what happens to saliva? They swallow it. Yeah. Right? Yes, they swallow it. Right. Saliva mm-hmm. is high in sodium bicarbonate. Okay. Which is, you know, basically baking soda. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so saliva is high in sodium bicarbonate. Mm-hmm. The mere act of chewing stimulates salivation. Mm-hmm. And then when you salivate, you swallow. Yes. That goes down into the stomach. And mm-hmm. voila, it helps to buffer that acid. Gotcha. The sodium bicarbonate helps to buffer that acid. So that's why, you know, when we talked earlier about it's really important for horses to be eating on a fairly frequent basis, that's what we're relating to. We we really need to keep them eating. You know, it doesn't need to be great amounts. That's where those slow feeder nets mm-hmm. come into play and stuff like that because it can constant. be difficult to manage weight sometimes. But yeah, so just that the, the mere act of keeping them chewing mm-hmm. is going to produce that buffering saliva that they're going to swallow and help to protect their stomach by increasing the pH of the stomach. And this makes sense because you guys often say, for example, in the morning, you want to go down, feed them some hay Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. prior to feeding grain, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which makes sense in terms of them chewing to create the saliva because with the hay, they're kind of constantly chewing to break it down. creating more saliva versus the grain. I feel like they kind of eat quickly. They don't have to chew as much often like with pellets. Mm -hmm, It mm -hmm. kind of is eaten. This totally makes sense as to why that order would make sense. Exactly. There's another component too that could be enhanced by rapid digestion of grains. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeding a feed that has easily digestible carbohydrates in it, Okay. Like a Mm -hmm. high sugar kind of thing, uh, sweet feed covered in molasses. Mm -hmm. What that can do is produce what are called uh, volatile fatty acids. Okay. And volatile fatty acids can be particularly irritating to the squamous mucosa there. Okay. Okay. So uh, just something to keep in mind that feed choice can affect that. And VFAs can also be particularly damaging in the hindgut as well. That's where you get into grain overload um, Uh, issues and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. You've probably heard of that. You know, a horse eats a bag of chicken feed or something like that. It's a big deal. Some other factors that can contribute gastric motility and gastric emptying. So 
if the stomach isn't emptying on a frequent basis, then mm-hmm. we just have this constant production of this highly acidic gastric juice. So we want to mm-hmm. keep that flowing out, right? And mm-hmm. so sometimes what can happen is if you have these upper small intestinal lesions like a duodenal or pyloric ulceration, you can okay. get some inflammation mm-hmm. and, and things like that that can slow gastric emptying. That can compound the issue. That makes sense. Yeah. And then um, performance horses, I think, are quite prone to ulceration of the of the squamous region, not only because of the management factors that mm-hmm. we've previously discussed, you know, the can be challenging to feed enough hay, but also the just the mechanical aspects of exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, you could imagine that horses aren't necessarily meant to jump a meter 40 on a consistent basis. Right. They're not meant to run as hard as they do on a weekly basis mm-hmm. and train as hard as they do. That that wasn't their, you know, evolutionary intention or, mm-hmm. or, or anything. So we're kind of asking them to do more than what they were engineered for. Right. right? Yeah, they're designed for. Yeah, yes. exactly. And so I think some of those mechanical factors, you can imagine there'd be acid sloshing around in the stomach a mm-hmm. little bit in some of these situations, sloshing up into that squamous region and kind of burning it and then furthermore it once you start to get ulceration there it continues to get bathed in this uh irritating uh gastric juice Mm -hmm. and and worsen the issue but also make them feel worse yes yeah you know what i mean so they're just like i don't really want to do this Mm -hmm. yeah that's a a big factor of what we uh, see in in performance horses that are starting to show signs of gastric ulceration is change in attitude towards work and and poor performance they're just like no thank you yeah would horses get a heartburn then like with uh, I think fluid? I think it would I think it would be experienced fairly similarly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I, like ugh, no, thank you. I yeah, truly like, never thought about that till you're just yeah. describing it and thinking, yeah. oh god. I think it would really sting, and and you know you can see it. A lot of horses get kind of put off feed, mm-hmm. right? They'll eat hay. A lot of these horses will eat hay, but um, when it comes to eating their grain, they just kind of pick away at it. Those are big suggestions that gastric ulcer can be an, uh, an issue. So um, we've talked about the squamous lesions quite a bit now. I just wanted to touch on the glandular uh, lesions as well. Mm -hmm. So, again, the glandular region of the stomach has all these fancy protective measures, okay? And the biggest one is going to be mucus, okay? It produces this mucus film that that protects it and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But the production of the mucus film can be inhibited. Oh, okay. Okay, one of the biggest things that can inhibit that mm-hmm. is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So, okay. bute and banamine being the the most common ones that we we deal with, right? Okay. So, what what happens is those drugs inhibit the production of prostaglandins because prostaglandins are in general inflammatory molecules. Okay. Okay. But in the case of the stomach, just to make things difficult, <laughs> um, they're actually quite useful in in terms of protection okay, okay? <laughs> so our drugs yeah they work really good to decrease prostaglandins that are involved in inflammation mm-hmm. but those same or similar prostaglandins are also important in terms of developing that that mucus film and and other protective means including just good blood flow to the stomach which makes sense as to why often with you guys if they're on like butyrbanamine for a longer period you would recommend something to help with their 
their exactly. stomach. Exactly. Exactly. A protective uh, omeprazole, uh, which we'll get to um, yeah. later. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But yeah, it definitely predisposes. And in really, really inflammatory cases where, for whatever reason, it's deemed that the horse needs both a non steroidal and a steroid. Okay. Okay. Um, so horses that are on, let's say, banamine and dexamethasone uh, okay. or mm-hmm. prednisolone or something like that, those ones are at uh, particularly high risk of uh, developing gastric ulcers. Okay. Because okay. It, it really impacts blood flow and mucus production of that glandular region. Okay. So okay. as that mucus film starts to degrade, mm-hmm. it becomes more permeable to acid. There's lots of things in this gastric juice. There's acid and uh, bile and pepsin and all these things are meant to digest things, right? Yes. So yeah. as you start to expose regions of the stomach that can't defend themselves, all yeah. these things that are meant to digest food are now starting to digest the stomach. That's what's happening, right? And that's that's why it starts to uh, to ulcerate. Seems like it might be a little bit painful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's, I, I think it's a valid excuse to not want to do your job. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah, exactly. So we're trying to give as much detail as you, as you need. You know, obviously this pre- presentation might be different um, and, and could have more specifics if we were, mm-hmm. you know, looking at diagrams and stuff like that. But we do have to remember that people are driving when they're listening to this. So <laughs> <laughs> we have to make sure it's consumable yes. and understandable in that, uh, in that sense. So some clinical signs in let's say foals with gastric ulcers okay so clinical signs with foals with yep. uh, gastric ulcers yeah uh i would say diarrhea hmm okay you said hmm hmm is the diarrhea a sign of a gastric ulcer mm. or, or do they get gastric ulcers because they had diarrhea hmm okay i'm feeling yeah i think it can go both ways okay yeah okay yeah you know i don't know that much in in foals as much <laughs> all right because well, when i think of like clinical signs i'm thinking of more kind of performance horses in mm-hmm. terms of what i said being a little bit girthy being off their feet i assume it'd be the same in foals like not nursing yeah as much yeah so colic is a common sign recurrent bouts of low-grade colic mm-hmm. is a possibility lying on their back oh okay poor appetite teeth grinding ah uh, okay yes and, and salivation would be uh, would be some other factors to consider Okay. And if you get to the point of salivation, there's probably something even more sinister going on there. So, okay. And in terms of lying on their back, that's a sign for the foals? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just a way of relieving some of the pressure uh, by, by changing where the acid and everything like that is sitting. I got gotcha. you. You're uncomfortable. You're just trying to get to a comfortable spot. And for foals, exactly. Like, I can't tell you the number of times I go to a colic even an adult horse, right? And people say, um, I'm calling you up because my horse can't pee. I have okay. never once seen that be an issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Never once. I think what happens is they posture to pee because they're like, I don't know what is wrong with me right now, but I'm just going to stand here and try to pee and see if that makes things different. But I've never Definitely. once actually seen a horse not be able to pee. I'm not saying it's impossible. There's that old saying in uh, in medicine, common things are common. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a, a manifestation of them trying to 
sort of get comfortable. Yes. And this is this is what they've come up with. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's my interpretation of it anyway. But I, I have not encountered a horse that can't pee. Yeah, with adults, you, you've mentioned some of the things. Girthiness, absolutely. One thing I find pretty common is horses that don't consume their entire meal mm-hmm. or like they yes. eat their breakfast for dinner and their dinner for breakfast. Yes. You know what I mean? They're kind of a, a meal behind. That's mm-hmm. not great. Attitude changes, especially in terms of their willingness to work. Yes. Uh, that type of thing. Decreased performance, reluctance to train, body condition, not great, yes. poor appetite, you know, that that type of thing. And of course, there's a million things that could cause these clinical signs. But again, common things are common. Mm-hmm. Up to 90% of horses can have gastric ulcers. It should be on our radar when we start to see these, these changes. So often, these clinical signs are enough to suggest that yeah. gastric ulcers are a possibility. And it really depends at that point what you're going to do in terms of diagnostics. Okay. So I would say that one of the most common ways of addressing these issues is to start them on ulcer treatments Mm -hmm. and see if the horse improves. If it does, then it's suggestive that Mm -hmm. that was the cause of the, the observed signs, right? Yes. But that, of course, is not the gold standard of diagnosis, right? That's right. Yep. Gold standard would be? Gastroscope. Gastroscope, yeah. The reason that gastroscope or gastroscopy isn't used on every case that we're trying to diagnose is just because the scopes for it and the the people that operate them, they're not everywhere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, special arrangements need to be made. Right. And, you know, there's expense associated with it. That's not an excuse, but I'm just saying these are some of the reasons why it's not done so regularly. But if you do want to have your horse scoped, there certainly are arrangements that can be made. So whether your own veterinary clinic has a gastroscope and what makes a gastroscope special is that they're quite long. Yes. They're generally three meter long scopes. That's an expensive unit prone to issues in terms of durability Mm -hmm. and things like that. They they get broken from time to time and and stuff like that. There's There's a lot that can go wrong with them. If you want to diagnose ulcers, conclusively, yes, you should arrange for a gastroscope to be made. And and whether that's your local veterinarian or a local hospital or, mm-hmm. you know, other specialists that may be in your area, arrangements can generally be made. Okay. Okay. If there's any question or you want that peace of mind of knowing definitively, then gastroscopy is the, is the right way to go. We're getting into the final throws here. Lastly, we should consider treatment. Yes. So what's the first thing that we should consider with treatment? Okay, I was just thinking lifestyle-wise in terms of, uh, you mentioned about the hay. Sure. Feeding hay, making sure that they have hay in front of them often so that they're always salivating to try to create that the barrier. Mm-hmm. As well as you mentioned, the higher alfalfa for the hay. So maybe something to look into if they're doing more of a Timothy hay, as long as other factors too, like they yeah. can be on alfalfa. Weight and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, no, I think that that's a that's a really good place to start is let's look at how we're managing this horse and see if there's anything that we're doing that could really be contributing to the development of ulcers, right? Yes. And if so, let's see what we can do to to remedy that. Often these horses are very well cared for and you can tell because people have noticed that they're showing yes. these clinical signs, right? So the mere fact that they've been noticed suggest that they're well cared for horses and maybe there aren't a whole lot of changes that can be made you yes. know, based on their job and everything like that. But, you know, like one thing that could help is 
maybe you've got a performance horse that, uh, you know, it's just developing a bit of sourness in mm-hmm. general. Maybe it just needs to be turned out for a little while. Right. You have a little I mean? break. It'll have a little break. The competition wears on all athletes, whether they be human or, or animal. And performance certainly shows up in uh, peaks and troughs, mm-hmm. right? So uh, if, if you had the answer to that question, how do you predict when it's a peak and when it's a trough? But, you know, if it's a definitive trough, yes. maybe it's time to just let the horse be a horse for a while. And yes. I think that's good. Let the whole body rest a little bit, including the stomach. But yeah, uh, sometimes life style is as good as it can be mm-hmm. and uh, and we need some we need some drugs yeah right so there's really only one approved drug for the treatment of equine gastric ulcers syndrome in in horses of course it's equine gastric ulcers <laughs> but there, yeah there's really only one drug and that is omeprazole uh, sold under the brand name gastroguard mm-hmm. and the class of drug that uh, omeprazole fits into it's called a proton pump inhibitor Okay. And a proton is basically like one molecule of acid, if that makes sense. So, so basically we've got these little pumps, molecular pumps in the, in the stomach lining, and they are producing this acid. Okay. They're producing protons and by producing protons, it makes it acidic. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. So what, what omeprazole does is helps to uh, inhibit those pumps mm-hmm. so that they're producing less protons which therefore makes the stomach acid less acidic gotcha okay mm-hmm. so that's the mainstay of treatment one thing that's really really important if you don't take anything away from this this is, is very important especially if you're treating horses for ulcers or think you're treating horses for ulcers well a couple of points gastroguard the name brand is the only approved product yes okay uh, there are compounded versions but the gold standard is GastroGuard, okay? Uh, for 28 days, there's a whole regime that you're supposed mm-hmm. to do. So that's the mainstay of treatment. But one thing that is really important, GastroGuard is expensive. Right. Okay? And so sometimes what people will do is they'll think, okay, well, how do I make this last a little longer? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give GastroGuard during stressful events. Right. That makes no sense, okay? Because... Gastroguard omeprazole takes three to five days to start working. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by that time, if they're already at the stressful event and things are already happening, the gastroguard result to affect after maybe the stressful yeah, events already Exactly, exactly. Happened. But it's certainly not going to work for the trailer ride during, you know, right. to, to the event. If that's the type of protection you're going for right. just for a single uh, event, it's not going to work. So mm-hmm. you're really not achieving your goal in mm-hmm. doing that. If you want to use it sporadically, you could, um, you know, as a preventative, you could consider giving it for several days prior to that stressful event. Mm-hmm. That, that would make more sense. But just one tube, you know, on race day, once a week or something like that, or on show day, mm-hmm. is not going to do anything. Right. So I'd like to try to get people away from doing yes. that. Like you're either treating or preventing ulcers or you're not. And you have to follow the schedule that your your veterinarian recommends. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really, really important. So one thing that we will do sometimes is if we're really suspicious that a horse is showing signs of gastric ulcers and we want to start them on omeprazole, sometimes what we'll do is we'll start them on a, on a concurrent medication as well that might work a little quicker right? While the mm-hmm. omeprazole is starting to work. So like one of those would be sucralfate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sucralfate in acidic conditions turns into this kind of jelly substance that is believed to provide a bit of a coating to yes. those, to those ulcers. So it, it sticks to the ulcers and, and can protect them a little bit. Oh, okay. um, works as like a band aid. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
sometimes we'll start them on sucralfate and omeprazole at mm-hmm. the same time just to kind of get the ball rolling. Gotcha. And that's, that's another possibility. And there's some other medication protocols that can be used, you know, certainly in cases that aren't responding appropriately mm-hmm. or cases that are considered quite severe based on gastroscopy. But we don't really need to get into that at the moment. So that's basically it. Uh, something I just thought I'd mention because I only learned about this in the last couple of years was recommending to give the medication first thing in the morning. Like you'd go into the barn, you'd give them their gastroguard, and then you'd feed them after that, like giving the medication on an empty stomach. So the important thing is make sure that you use medications per the manufacturer's directions. Yeah. And of course, consult it with your veterinarian. We'll talk about a case really quickly. Okay. Um, just thinking about a case I heard about several years ago. Okay. And it was a horse that was castrated as a yearling. Mm-hmm. And after it was castrated, the veterinarian recommended a scoop of butte twice a day for three days. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense. I think it would be a little ouchy after you've been castrated. You know, I would give think. Them some, give them some analgesia and some um, anti-inflammatory. Makes perfect sense, right? Yes. And about three days later, the horse, you know, the incision was looking good. They, they'd followed their instructions, but the horse broke with quite severe diarrhea. Oh, okay. Okay. And so then everybody was like, hmm, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. So what could go through your mind there? It was probably also on antibiotics. So if it's on antibiotics, then I would think... Is it getting diarrhea because of the antibiotics? Yeah, could could be. Um, it, you know, you can technically you can get colitis, uh, just inflammation of the colon and and subsequent diarrhea from any antibiotic, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's it's entirely possible, and and some animals are just like people are going to be more more susceptible, more sensitive than others. But they looked into the history a little bit more. So what else could be a factor there? Thinking about what we've talked about today, I'm not sure. What other medication was it on? The butte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they were prescribed one scoop twice a day. Three days. For three days. Right. How many grams of butte are in one scoop? One. Or? Depends. Yeah. On the so, concentration. Yeah. Exactly. It, it ended up being a uh, butte concentration issue. Okay. And it was, you know, a completely innocent situation. Everybody mm-hmm. just thought that they were doing what they were told. And, Absolutely. And, but ultimately... The problem was there are two different concentrations of butte powder. Mm -hmm. One of them is one gram per teaspoon. The other is one gram per tablespoon. Yes. If you use a tablespoon Mm -hmm. in the one gram per teaspoon as your measure, Mm -hmm. you end up giving three grams per treatment instead of one. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So this horse, it was supposed to have been getting one gram twice a day. Mm -hmm. This horse was getting six grams twice a day. Gosh, okay. Okay. Remember what we said earlier about the protective factors of those prostaglandins. Well, mm-hmm. you, so so in this situation, you significantly affect those prostaglandins mm-hmm. and blood flow to those sensitive areas mm-hmm. that they can't protect themselves anymore. And they become susceptible to ulceration. You mentioned the hindgut. In this particular situation, it was hindgut ulceration where you, ah, okay. uh, or, or right dorsal colitis. Okay. But it's the same principle right yes. it's it's we've given too much of a prostaglandin that has affected blood flow and protective factors in that area mm-hmm. right 
and making it susceptible and subsequently the horse got colitis. So, uh, and then it's a very prolonged treatment period to treat that and and it can be fatal as well. So, it has to be, especially in young horses, um, you really have to be careful with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. People sometimes ask me over the phone, um, how much of blank should I give this horse? What I'll often say is, send me a picture of the bottle. Right. Yeah. Right? So you can get the concentration. So I can get the concentration because, you know, especially if you're dealing with compounded medications, mm-hmm. things like that, the active ingredient is mm-hmm. phenylbutazone, but we don't know how much phenylbutazone per milliliter of that substance mm-hmm. or of that medication is actually in there. These are important numbers to figure out. Moral of the story being you can have some pretty extreme consequences, severe consequences, if we don't know exactly how much we're giving. Yes, definitely. Things. Uh, but but that kind of ties in a few different lessons, including what happens physiologically when you give too much non-steroidal. Make sense? Makes sense. Gosh. Perfect. That's our case for the day. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And we also have coming up a gastroscope clinic at our location in Schaumburg, our farm, and that's on October 17th. If you want more information, we have it on our Facebook page or you can give us a call. Absolutely. Yeah. You'll get to see actual gastroscopy performed. Hopefully you'll see some ulcers and what yeah. they actually look like. Of course, we don't want ulcers in our horses, <laughs> but it, it'd be nice from a visualization standpoint to see see what these things actually look like and what the inside of a horse's stomach look like and everything. So Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again. Uh, we really appreciate um, everybody listening. Uh, don't hesitate to contact us if you have any uh, feedback, questions, concerns. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people. Not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.